0: there is a place that exists inside each one of us it may be the beach or the mountains or even the park in the midst of a busy city in that place we are able to get back to something precious something life-sustaining the idea of returning to the basic and simple truths is often found in connecting with the natural the trees the lakes and the beauty of the countryside now more than ever we need to get back to discover what is truly valuable we need to get back to the truth that called us out of darkness we need the love that will not let us go we need to get back to go on we need grace this is nothing but grace on Sunday morning. I hope you do feel God's great love wrapped around you this morning. Today we will worship the Lord who is with us right now. He knows your circumstances. He knows your hurts and hopes, your fears and fantasies, your disappointments and your dreams. My mission today is to remind you that there is, even in these difficult days, nothing but grace. I am Pastor Chuck McGathy, and I am called by God to be part of a loving, grace-affirming, and welcoming group of people. These people are called First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. Together we are followers of Jesus. For us, he is the living Lord. We listen to him. Jesus teaches us through his words and deeds. We need to learn more about being his followers. No matter who you are, you are welcome to come along with us, learn about the real Jesus, and then let him change your life. Everyone is welcome as family. We are all brothers and sisters on this journey to follow Christ our Lord. Ours is a community of faith that has a history and tradition that speaks of the love of God the love that he has for all people, and the respect and dignity we all possess as his children. You are our brothers and sisters. Whenever you're with us, you're home. You can learn more about our faith community, gain help for your spiritual life, and even contribute to support the positive life-changing message we present weekly. You can do any or all of that through our website at www firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. That's all spelled out. This is how we are doing weekly worship during this time of pandemic. Nothing but grace is a time for worship and Bible study that will inspire your hearts and give you good news. Together, we are fellow travelers on life's highway. Pilgrims, as the Bible says. Today, I will be sharing with you my message entitled, Get Back, to go on. You'll also be hearing Bible study from 1 Corinthians taught by the Reverend Jan Walsh, so stay tuned. Let God speak to your heart today. Let's get into the spirit of Advent by listening to our choir sing, The World Awaits Your Coming by Choplin. This is the First Baptist Chio- Choir conducted by Mrs. Jane Scruggs and accompanied by Mrs. Sylvia Perkins. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. That used to mean a lot to me in my congregation as we followed the church calendar every week. We disciplined ourselves to study the Scripture season by season through the dates of the church calendar. That discipline enabled us to be aware of the totality of the message of Scripture so that we might be well-balanced Christians. Then a pandemic came along. Now we take each Sunday as an individual Sunday, a message within a message, in a time of shared crisis, experienced worldwide. Today, however, I want to remind us all that this is the first Sunday on the Christian calendar, a Sunday where we focus our attention on the meaning of the coming of Christ into our world. What could be more meaningful during a time of darkness for our nation and for everyone on the globe than to be reminded that we have a Savior who has come on our behalf? The next few weeks, we will be considering what it means to welcome Jesus into our world. What kind of difference does he make in our lives? Even more important, how do we prepare our hearts for his arrival? In the Bible, we are told of one who came to prepare the way of the Lord. His message was simple. We need to get back in order to go on. Let's think about what that means as we look today at a man we know as John the Baptist. At the time of the events that took place surrounding the ministry of John the Baptist, the religion of his people had become city-centered. The heart of Jewish worship was focused on the temple in Jerusalem. All of the best religious scholars lived there. They engaged in great learning and academic debates about their faith. The very soul of Jewish life was found in the narrow streets of the holy city, the city of David. Jerusalem was so important that observant Jews would go through great hardship and expense to make a pilgrimage to the city. Jerusalem was where it was happening, the place that had it seriously going on. When he was a young boy, Jesus and his family made one of those pilgrimages to Jerusalem. You will remember that it was there that Jesus tarried, enthralled by the religious life he found there. Equally enthralled were the elders who noted his perceptive questions. They must have thought this child from Nazareth should get out of the sticks and join them in the big city. This boy had potential, potential that would only be wasted in a backwater town like Nazareth. That brings us to today's scripture, Mark 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The place was Jerusalem. 27 years after the great census ordered by Caesar Augustus, something strange was happening there. People were leaving the big city sophistication to go out to the country to hear an odd sort of fellow. Where he was, there were no great libraries, no debate halls, no religious shrines, and certainly no temple. This strange man was uncouth and unencumbered by urban refinements, not bedecked in fine garments and culture. He was wild and dressed like a hairy beast. He lived on bugs and braved bee stings to get some of their honey. He was, in a word, compelling. Now, of course, none of his eccentricities by themselves could make him the center of so much attention. You could find crazy people in every town. No doubt Jerusalem had a few of her own who wandered up and down her narrow alleyways. But there was something unique about this wild man, something that compelled the citizens of the city of pilgrims to make a pilgrimage of their own, to go out to the country, to the place where the wild lands challenged their senses. They had to go see this man nicknamed John the Baptizer. They were curious what he was all about. What was it about him that made these big city folks come out to the country? John was not representative of the kind of religion they were used to experiencing in Jerusalem. They were used to a religious life of control and order, a religious experience concerned more with maintaining right thoughts and words, a religion that had grown less concerned about changed behavior. Lest we think that was an isolated condition found only in ancient Jerusalem. Let us consider the words of John Pierce from an editorial in a past edition of Baptist Today who reminds modern Christians how similar we have become to the ancient Jews of Jerusalem. He wrote, It has been a long time since I heard someone share how Jesus made them more patient, joyful, loving, kind, forgiving, or humble. Those fruits of the Spirit are things in the Bible that apply to other people. Being a Christian today is more often defined by correct belief rather than behavior and new priorities that come from a changed life. There seems to be less attention given to substantial personal conversion, that is, the old passing away to make room for the new. Pierce goes on to illustrate how Religious arguments over fine theological points have become the stuff of Christian experience. Like John crying in the wilderness, he calls us all to consider the witness this gives to our world when he adds, an outsider could get the idea that true Christians are defined by signing the right doctrinal statements, imposing correct theology on others, isolating themselves from wrong thinkers and aggressively promoting a political agenda formed around issues that Jesus never addressed. For all kinds of Christians, it seems that too little attention is given to the way Jesus changes the old into the new. Just like the people in John's day, the people today are longing to encounter a God who is personal and meets them at their point of need. Most people don't want to know how to resolve the debates on inerrancy, the exclusivity of salvation versus universalism, or predestinationism versus free will. They're not going to leave their homes on Sunday morning for clarification on the place of women and homosexuals in the church, or to debate the proper form of worship. What they want is the gospel. The same gospel message that John announced in the wilderness. That message is personal. It is about encountering God even with our sin. It is about encountering God even with my sin and your sin. And believing, really believing, that God will change us. Think a moment about where this message will best be heard. It is in the country, in the wilderness, away from the urban pressures. The wilderness has a special place in the psyche of the Jewish people. A wise preacher once said, It was in the wilderness that God tested the people, and it was in the wilderness that they rebelled. It was in the wilderness that God saved them again and again, and the wilderness was the crucible where they became a nation. The wilderness was a route to the promised land and a place of exile. It was a place where people sinned and where they also repented to restore their relationship with God. John called them to remember the message of Exodus, Malachi, and Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. He dresses like and acts like Elijah the prophet. Here is something new and something old, something that calls them to a better, more holy life, and something that affirms the dearest story embedded in their souls. To each other they say, Pack up your bag. It's time to head out to the country. Have you ever found yourself in need of a visit to the country? I once heard about a man who never traveled far from his home. When at last he became ill, he was taken to a large hospital. That was his first time ever outside of Rockingham County. What an amazing journey it must have been for him. To him, Greensboro might have seemed like a wilderness. To someone in Greensboro, or New York, or Los Angeles, Madison might seem like a wilderness. The wilderness is any place where we marvel at the sights and sounds, the feel of the air, and the texture of our surroundings. The wilderness is a place where we must look inward and where we are forced to admit that there are some things we do not know, some challenges we are not equipped to handle. In the wilderness, we sense our smallness. There we know we are not infinite. We are not in control. The wilderness changes us just by going there. You don't even have to move to go to the wilderness. Life can change suddenly and harshly, leaving your soul in the wilderness. What once seemed familiar and comfortable is now a struggle. You grieve your lost life. The new life you have is like being in a new country, but it is there in the wilderness that God speaks to our hearts. It is there we can hear God in a brand new way. The people who came to hear John heard and felt some brand new things. For instance, they were surprised to find out that John taught of a religion of the heart. You don't need a temple. You didn't need a priest or a scribe. You didn't need an altar or a sacrifice. What you needed was a clean heart. Perhaps they thought back to the words of David who prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The people were also amazed that John was continually talking about one who was to come after him, That would be like going to a concert only to find out that the act you really wanted to see was just the warm-up band. Something better was scheduled just ahead. John had so touched the people with the sincerity and freshness of his message that they thought he was the reason for their trek into the mountain passes and into the wilderness. But John kept saying over and over again, someone is coming after me and I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. That was a powerful statement and It exceeded polite humility. You see, in Jewish culture, the task of untying someone's sandals was considered so menial that all Jews, even Jewish slaves, were exempted from such duty. Only Gentile slaves could be required to perform such a service. So here is John telling his admirers that compared to the coming one, He is the lowest, most worthless human being imaginable. That must have made an impression on his audience. Not only did John speak of a religion of the heart and of one coming who was greater than he, John the baptizer did one more thing. He invited people to change. We often use the word repent. Repent is a good word. It means to turn around and go in another direction. It implies human will and choice in our destiny. We are not fated to fail. There is hope. With God, change is possible. John invites the crowd, one person at a time, to come to him and be plunged into the water to demonstrate their readiness to turn from their sins and prepare their hearts for the coming one. Episcopalian priest Charles Hoffacker points out, That even our word repentance does not fully capture the meaning of the New Testament. He writes Repentance, our English word, gives way to the original Greek of the gospel. There the word feels different. It is metanoia. This word metanoia means changing your mind, seeing the scene differently. More than our word repentance, this biblical term, is a wild word, one suited for the wilderness people. The contemporary poet Scott Carnes has produced a poem about metanoia in the New Testament, which concludes with these lines. The heart's metanoia, on the other hand, turns without regret, turns not so much away as toward, as if the slow pilgrim has been surprised to find that sin is not so bad as it is a waste of time. There is still a voice that calls to you and to me. It calls us into the wild, untamed places of the soul. It wants you just as you are. It wants you to come without pressure or pretense or promise. Just come. Even if you have failed, especially if you have failed, the voice crying in the wilderness beckons you to come. Just like John No one comes proud. We must come ready to agree that our need far outweighs all our resources. We all stand as poor souls before the throne of God, but therein lies our liberation. Therein lies our freedom, because that is exactly the place where God can meet our need. Finally, celebrate the metanoia. The God-given change, it is the same change that inspired the line from the hymn, Oh, what a wondrous change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Baptism is a symbol of that change. If you have not been baptized, make the decision today to follow our Lord. If you have already been through the waters, remember your baptism every day. By so doing, you will be prepared always for the coming of Christ and his kingdom. Let us pray. Lord, prepare us for the coming of the Lord. Give us hearts to hear your voice calling to us in the wild places of our souls. In humble honesty, we come before you just as we are. Prepare our hearts for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we enter into the season of Advent, we are mindful that our need of prayer is great. We turn to God in our brokenness and hurt, felt even more deeply because of our separation forced by this new virus that is threatening us all. This prayer poem was passed along to me this week. The person who shared it with me told me it had been a comfort to her in her days of grief and had, in fact, been shared in a Sunday school class some years before. I started to read it, and quickly my eyes filled with tears. So I recorded this prayer so that you and I might share in prayer together right now. My Beautiful Broken Shell Words of Hope to Refresh the Soul by Carol Hamlet Adams Dawn is broken on a beautiful day here at the ocean. I've come to refresh my weary spirit and to refuel my tired soul. I'm so grateful for the peace and the calm of the seashore where time stands still and unrushed, where I can see and feel the beauty all around me. This is my first morning at the ocean and as I walk to the beach feeling the rich, warm sand beneath my feet, I decide to collect a few shells. It is low tide and I watch, mesmerized, as the ocean rises slowly, curls and then spills its white-laced foam onto the shore. I walk by a broken scallop shell and leave it to search for more perfect ones. But then I stop. I go back and pick up the broken shell. I realize that this shell is me with my broken heart. This shell is people who are hurting, people who have lost loved ones, people who are frightened or alone, people with unfulfilled dreams. This shell has had to fight so hard to keep from being totally crushed by the pounding surf, just as I have had to. Yet this shell is still out on the beautiful sandy shore, just as I am. Thank you, Lord, that I haven't been completely crushed by the heaviness in my heart, by the pounding of the surf. If our world were only filled with perfect shells, we would miss some of life's most important lessons along the way. We would never learn from adversity, from pain, from sorrow. Thank you, Lord, for all that I learned from my brokenness, for the courage it takes to live with my pain, and for the strength it takes to remain on the shore. Broken shells teach us not to look at our imperfections, but to look at the beauty, the great beauty of what is still left. If anything is still left of me or my loved ones, then that is enough to grab hold of, to keep me going, to thank God for. Broken shells mean lots of tears, lots of pain, lots of struggle. But they are also valuable for teaching faith, courage and strength broken shells inspire others and demonstrate the will to go on in a way that no perfect shell could ever do broken shells are shells that have been tested and tried and hurt yet they don't quit they continue to be thank you lord for the great strength it takes to simply be even when i hurt so deeply that there seems to be nothing left of me. As I walk along the beach picking up shells, I see that each one has its own special beauty, its own special pattern. Lord, help me to see my own beautiful pattern and to remember that each line and each color on my shell was put there by you. Help me to not compare myself to others so that I may appreciate my own uniqueness, Help me to truly accept myself just as I am so that I may sing the song in my heart for no one else has my song to sing, my gift to give. I watch the rolling surf toss new shells onto the shore and I am reminded of the many times that I too have been tossed by the storms of life and worn down by the sands of time, just like my beautiful broken shell. But I am reminded that broken shells don't stand alone. Thank you, Lord, for being with me to share my life, to help me carry my burdens. Thank you for the precious gift of faith that keeps me strong when I am weak, that keeps me going when it would be easier to quit. Thank you, Lord, for hope, in times of despair, for light in times of darkness, for patience in times of suffering, for assuring me that you are with you, all things are possible. A wave crashes, sending tiny crabs scurrying for safety, and I am reminded that even the smallest creatures depend on each other, especially in our brokenness. We need the Lord and we need one another. Thank you, Lord, for filling my life with people who care. Thank you for my family, for my friends, and for those who are always there for me. As I look at my broken shell, I see that it has nothing to hide. It doesn't pretend to be perfect or whole. Its brokenness is clear for everyone to see. Lord, may I be strong enough to show my pain and brokenness like this shell. May I give myself permission to hurt, to cry, to be human. May I have the courage to risk sharing my feelings with others so that I may receive support and encouragement along the way. Lord, help me reach out to others, especially to the broken and discouraged, not only to love them but to learn from them as well, May I listen, comfort, and give unconditional love to all who pass my way. Lord, help me realize that I am not the only one hurting, that we all have pain in our lives. Help me remember that in my brokenness, I am still whole and complete in your sight. As I walk among the many washed-up shells, I suddenly spot a broken conch shell white and ordinary on the outside, yet brilliant coral inside. Lord, help me see inside the hearts of the people who touch my life to see their true colors. Somehow, here at the ocean, I receive so many gifts. I am grateful for the inner peace that fills my soul. I take time to notice sandpipers playing along the shore, Beach grasses swaying in the salty breezes, I delight in finding simple treasures, a smooth piece of green glass polished by the waves, a transparent white stone, a starfish. Lord, help me to remain childlike in my appreciation of life. Please slow me down that I may always see the extraordinary in the ordinary that I may always wonder at the shell in the sand, the dawn of a new day, the beauty of a flower, the blessing of a friend, the love of a child. In my brokenness, may I never take life so seriously that I forget to laugh along the way. May I always take the time to watch a kite dance in the sky, to sing, to pick daisies, to love, take risks, to believe in my dreams. As I look once more at the broken scallop shell in my hand, I am reminded of all the beautiful shells God has placed around me. Lord, may I truly value every moment spent with my loved ones while this life is so briefly mine. Let me not destroy the beauty of today by grieving over yesterday or worrying about tomorrow. May I cherish and appreciate my shell collection each and every day, for I know not when the tide will come and wash my treasures away. Thank you, Lord, for embracing my shell, whether I am whole or broken. Thank you for sending me loved ones who care. Thank you for holding me in the palm of your hand, for keeping me safe from the pounding surf. For now, I'll just continue walking and add to my collection of beautiful shells. Today's Bible study will look closely at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. If you have a copy of the free Nurturing Faith journal we offer, turn to page 28. If you do not have this wonderful Bible study guide, simply drop by the church Monday through Thursday mornings, or drop me a line and get your free copy. Now let's hear our associate pastor, the Reverend Jan Walsh, as she teaches the scripture for today.
1: The title of this lesson is Every Good Gift, and it comes from 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 3-9. Are we there yet? The classic question known to all parents who have driven children on a long trip could also apply in other circumstances. As would-be followers of Jesus called to grow in Christlikeness as we go through life, are we there yet? Have we become mature believers, firmly grounded in faith and fully committed to lives that reflect Jesus' call to love and justice? If we are truthful, most of us would confess that we have not yet become all God wants us to be. Whatever our age, we still have some growing left to do. The season of Advent marks a time of anticipation and hope as we recall the excitement around Jesus' birth into our world and as we consider the prospect of one day entering Jesus' world on a new level we may hold to hope that our lives will become more like Jesus before that day comes. If we find ourselves hopeful but still on the road, we have something in common with the members of the church in the first century Corinth. Our text for the day consists of Paul's greeting to a church he saw as blessed by God and filled with potential, but not there yet. 1 Corinthians 1:3 3 3-9. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And our key verse is that verse, God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What do we know about Corinth and its people? The city Paul knew was only about 100 years old, a Roman metropolis built on the ruins of an ancient Greek city. The population included present and former slaves, wealthy merchants, shrewd traders, government administrators, Roman soldiers and veteran sailors, along with teachers, philosophers, and devotees of various religions. For a variety of reasons, for a variety of reasons Corinth was an important city the apostle paul had a long and uneven relationship with the people of corinth along with timothy and silas he first came to the city around 49 or 50 ce during his second evangel his second evangelistic expedition paul met and was aided by Prisca and Aquila, a Jewish Christian couple who had emigrated from Rome after the emperor Claudius expelled Christians from Italy, Paul may have lodged with them, joining them in the leatherwork trade as he remained in Corinth for about 18 months. After a brief return to Jerusalem, Paul traveled to Antioch before departing on his 33rd missionary effort when he stayed in Ephesus for two years. While there, Paul had several contacts with the Corinthian church. Individual members of the church contacted Paul, telling him of the problems of Corinth. He also received at least one letter from the church requesting his advice. In response, Paul wrote what we now call 1 Corinthians. It appears that the letter was not well received leading Paul to make a visit to the church that he called painful. After returning to Ephesus, he wrote another letter that he described as tearful and difficult, sending it by Titus. Some scholars think that this severe letter may be partially preserved in 2 Corinthians 10 through 13, which is sterner in tone than the surrounding chapters. Later, Titus told Paul the Corinthians had accepted his letter and were reconciled to him. Paul then wrote 2 Corinthians to express his joy and encourage the Corinthians to raise a worthy offering for the poor in Jerusalem. Later, Paul seems to have made a third visit, writing his letter to the Romans while there. Paul wrote with the knowledge the church was riddled with factions Different members preferred the personalities or theological perspectives of different teachers like Paul, Peter, or Apollos. Each group wanted to control the direction of the church. Many of us know what that is like. We may have belonged to a church in which fans of a particular pastor or a certain theological bent struggled to determine who to call as the next pastor, what priorities should be in the budget, or what kind of people were fully welcome in worship. The congregation in Corinth would have included people across the social spectrum, from slaves to elites, from members considered themselves superior to others on both spiritual and social grounds. Paul began his letter with the standard pattern of identifying himself and his audience, followed by a brief greeting. Paul identified himself as... Called to be an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. Some members of the Corinthian church had apparently questioned, Paul, questioned Paul's authority as an apostle, so he wanted to emphasize from the beginning that his authority lay not in himself, but in his divine calling. But God's calling wasn't limited to Paul. He described his readers as a church that was sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Although the Corinthians were unlikely saints, they were also called by God to a new kind of life. Saintly or not, Paul called them sanctified, using a verb that means to make holy in the sense of to set apart as sacred to God. Believers are to be set apart for holy living, but the Corinthians showed that church members can be perfectly forgiven, but not perfect in behavior. Saints and centers concurrently. Paul tactfully reminded the Corinthians that they were part of a broader community called along with all those who are in in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Tony Cartledge, our writer, says that says this remains a helpful word. It's easy for us to think only of ourselves and our church, but we are part of a much larger body. Denominations and ecumenical activities help us to appreciate the larger Christian family. Secular letters of that time period typically began with the word greeting, but Paul altered that to the word for grace and peace as well. It was an important reminder that grace and peace, like our calling to a transformed life, derive from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In his letters, Paul usually followed the greeting with a prayer of thanksgiving for his readers, often subtly raising issues that would appear later in the letter. In some cases, Paul affirmed his hearers with words of praise, as to the Thessalonians whom he praised for your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also praised the Colossians for their faith, love, and hope in Christ that was bearing fruit among them. But in writing to the Corinthians, the best Paul could offer sounds like backhanded compliments. He thanked God for the grace that had been given to the Corinthians, enriching them in every way and blessing them with spiritual gifts. But he extended no congratulations for what they had done with the gifts they had received. In other words, Paul could praise what God had done for the Corinthians, but not what they had done for God. Divine grace had enriched them in speech and knowledge of every kind, but some of them had used speech against each other. Some believed they had special knowledge that made them superior to others, issues that Paul would address later. The witness of Christ had been confirmed among the Corinthians, Paul said, bestowing an abundance of spiritual gifts. That was positive, but sadly, the use and distribution of spiritual gifts had become a matter of controversy that Paul would address later in the letter. Spiritual gifts can be misused, A person can be a spiritually gifted shyster as well as a saint, as demonstrated by charismatic evangelists who draw many followers but use their offerings to enrich themselves. Fortunately, God remains faithful, even among unfaithful people. Paul said God's faithfulness would grant the Corinthians strength to the end so they might be found blameless when Christ returned. They had been called on the basis of God's faithfulness, not theirs. They were not only saved by God's persistent grace, but sustained by it. Paul's prayer tactfully avoided undue praise for the Corinthians, but he did not condemn them either. Although they were sinners, he still called them saints. In spite of their shortcomings, he acknowledged their giftedness he held out hope that they would grow in grace and learn to wage peace. Paul's letter could have been written to us, for we also are called into fellowship by God's faithfulness. We also are gifted by God's Spirit. We also may fail and fall short of God's best hopes for us, but our faith is grounded in God's faithfulness, which will remain to the end. If Paul were to write a letter to us or to our church, what might he say? Would he have to settle for backhanded compliments, or could he offer unabashed and grateful praise? What can you do to become more like what Jesus desires? What do you need to let go of to become more like what Jesus desires? As we approach the season of Advent, I don't need to remind you that these are dark times. But dark times are when the light shines best. Christ comes to bring light to our darkness, not just the darkness of the pandemic or racial injustices or political quarrels, but to the darkness of our not living up to God's image in us. God comes to the darkness of our anger or resentment or depression. God comes. Just think on that. God comes. What beautiful words. The God of the universe doesn't stay away. God comes into our selfishness and our pain and our everyday lives. Keep your eyes open to God's coming to you in these days of Advent. Keep your heart open to God's message of love and God's challenge to be all that God has created you to be. Let us pray. Loving God, the letters from Paul give us great insight not only into the struggles and challenges of the early church but also reveals our own struggles and challenges. While we may take comfort in knowing we aren't the only ones who have traveled this path, we know that we have work to do. Help us with our discipline. Guide us with our discipleship. Show us the way we need to go. Light our darkness as only you can. Amen.
0: Thank you, Jan, for sharing with us today from God's Word. To all my fellow Christ followers, thank you for tuning in to this worship and study time each Sunday. I would also like to thank all of you who have been so very generous in your financial support in this difficult and challenging time we are passing through. I hope that this time of worship and Bible study inspires you each week. It is my sincere desire that through this weekly broadcast, you will find renewal and a stronger relationship with God. Sometimes I know people who are listening would like to demonstrate their support. Thank you for that. We love hearing from you and knowing of your prayers. Another way you can affirm this ministry is through a financial donation. Now, through modern advancements, it is easy to do. Of course, you can still use traditional mail, and I'll give the address in just a moment. But you can donate easily and safely online through our website. Once again, our website is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Please pray for us, and if God so directs you, give to help this broadcast continue. Please also remember in your prayers, Barry and Nancy, Dick and Evelyn, Carter, Emily, Horner, Joyce, and Joanne. I would like us all to be reminded also to remember uh, to pray for Heather and Anthony. I would like us all to be reminded of the words of Joyce Fulcher, who encourages us to be prayerful people. She wrote this week, Many others among us are experiencing difficult circumstances, illness, grief, and other challenges, both spoken and shared and suffered in silence. It seems we are back to a few months ago when my name on a post was a cause for dread. Now what? Who now? And yet tomorrow is Thanksgiving Day. A day not just to cook and eat and watch TV, but to stop and deliberately think of things that pull the gratitude out of us, regardless of what we lack. Many of us are missing loved ones and missing normal, but we are here, we are now, we are loved. Hold each other up in prayer. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices. You may listen any time to this broadcast or recommend it to a friend by going to our website. Again, that is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Write to us. Please address your correspondence to First Baptist Church P.O. Box 209, Madison, North Carolina, 27025. Write to me and let me know your prayer request. Send an email to C-P-M-C-G-A-T-H-Y that's my name, C-P-McGathy at yahoo.com and please note in the subject line that you are a radio listener or call if you like and leave a message at 336-548-6112. May God bring you comfort and love, hope, and mercy. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy and I mean it when I remind each week in the end No matter what comes our way, there's nothing but grace. We'll conclude our broadcast with Jamie Slocum's singing, Grace Changes Everything.